0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast.
1: I'm your host, Matthew,
0: and joining on the line is our special guest, J.P. Bauer. J.P. is a friend of mine who I met actually while uh, taking part in a LARP, a live-action role-playing game, and I'm really glad he can be with us today because today we're actually talking about the ethics of LARPing. So, J.P., how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing quite well. How about you?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. I'm really glad we could have you on because I know... You and I have exchanged a lot of Facebook messages and um a lot of uh joint rants on different Facebook posts and stuff like that. So I've been excited to have you on as a guest. And I know this is a topic you really care a lot about um in terms of the ethical the ethical questions that surround uh role playing games. Uh primarily we're gonna talk today about live action, but also about um, you know, tabletop and, and really any ethical questions that come up, any time a group of friends or a group of people get together um to play a game or do something like that. So let me just start by JP. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, I have been role play, playing role-playing games since I was a young child. Uh-huh. Uh, 10, 12 uh, were about when I started. Um, and then I started uh, live-action role-playing when I was 17. So uh, I've been doing it for over a decade now. And
0: Just for anyone who's not quite sure, what, how, how would you define what is LARPing? What is live-action role-playing games?
1: <laughs> Well, that's a bit of a loaded question, but to <laughs> put, sure. but uh as is any definition in the gaming world but uh uh-huh. to put it simply uh instead of um instead of playing clue, you are standing up and uh usually in costume and uh physically acting out the voices, actions, and right. words of your characters
0: yeah and i and I think that that's essential, especially for a lot of what we're going to talk about today because. I think most of our listeners probably, if they haven't played it themselves, at least have some familiarity with, you know, role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons or, or Vampire the Masquerade or, or, or Shadowrun or any of those. Um, where, where you're pretending to be a character and you have stats and you, you roll dice to, to simulate, you know, if your, your sword or your laser gun hits or whatever it is. LARPing is taking that to another level, I think, where there's there's costumes and you're acting it out. And, and because of that, you're getting a lot more into the character. Um, in some really great ways, but also in ways that that can that can raise a lot of questions, both both in character and in player. Um, and I want us to to make sure we cover that. But let me just—I interrupted you a bit. Um, what else about yourself do you think is important uh, for listeners to know today?
1: <laughs> uh, I've dabbled a bit in designing uh, LAR- uh, LARPing scenarios and games myself, and. I also, on an amateur level, let me stress that I have no formal uh, <laughs> uh, education in these matters, because um, I do think that is important to note.
0: No, um, for, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh,
1: history, philosophy, and uh, ethics in general uh, are all of great interest to me.
0: Good stuff, good stuff. Well, yeah, I think that's definitely going to inform a lot of what we talk about today. So so let's actually start on the positive. What what do you love about LARPing? What, what keeps you coming back to it?
1: For me, a lot. For me personally, a lot of what interests me about uh, live action role playing is when I'm able to embody a character. Like you said earlier, um, I feel like I'm taking, and this is something I, I would probably want to talk more about later. But I feel like I am taking on new perspectives, and I'm able to experience thought patterns and uh, perspectives that I wouldn't normally engage in both in my mind and kind of kind of physically trying to physically embody them
0: yeah that that makes a lot of sense I, i've often thought of um larping as kind of like what happens when you cross writing with with improv theater basically you mm-hmm. know and, and that there's an element of when you write a character part of what you're trying to do is say okay well instead of asking myself how would i function in this in this situation it's how would this character i create function in a situation um and what i what i love about larping when it's at its best i think is that you have 5 or 10 or 50 people who are all doing that, who are, and, and now we're really all kind of writing a story together, and we're creating situations that are, okay, well, my character's going to do something different. How would your character react? And now how would my character react to what your character did? And and kind of letting that ping-pong ball of, of different situations just keep on going throughout the chain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I really think of it as an excellent it, it, thought experiments in practice is really how I think of it. Definitely. Uh, now that's <laughs> it's also just generally a good time, of course. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean it's you know you and I met through LARPing, and I I uh, one of the reasons I often join a LARP when I go to a new area is I know I'm I've got a pretty good chance of of meeting a lot of awesome awesome people who who think a little bit differently than the mainstream. So that 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 the fun part of it is not to be missed. Um. But I, but I like that especially in terms of especially what you're saying about new situations because I, I've said on other times on this podcast that one of the things I love about science fiction so much um, is it is it gives the chance to you know to ask questions about how how would we explore a question we're already used to but in a different world you know like the Star Trek does its classic examples of of raising questions of race. Except with the the races flipped in some way or 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 Battlestar Galactica did a lot of great examples of that, I, I think as I hope we're going to talk about in, in both good and bad ways, larping can be a, a similar thing. you know it can be saying how can we you know tell stories about characters that are that, that are allowing us to kind of explore issues in our own world from di- from different perspectives.
1: Yeah, that, that very thing is what I enjoy. You now, I said earlier what I enjoy about playing these games when I'm actually organizing and running them, exploring those very questions and the opportunities the format of LARPing allows me to engage in is what I enjoy about running the events. Hmm. So, I find satisfying.
0: Say a little bit more about that. What what kind of LARPs have you run and how have you used that to explore questions like that? Cause I, don't, I don't think I've ever played in a game that you were running.
1: You know, it's funny uh, that you brought up Battlestar Galactica explicitly, because uh, although it wasn't a science fiction game, it was a fantasy game, I did run uh, a LARP that was focused on the same kind of themes as uh, the newer iteration of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, interesting. Uh, which, uh, playing very much on identity and um, who we can trust and who, uh, identifying the self. Um it was, and it led to, it actually ended quite poorly because, um, and it was a great learning experience for me. Uh, this was relatively early on in, um, when I really started to take running the game seriously. Mm-hmm. And because of the game itself, um, people's home lives with each other as roommates or even romantic relationships started to break down because of, the distrust that was being sown between their characters in the game. <laughs> wow! To an enorm to such a degree that I had to stop running the game. Wow! It was kind of my own like little Zimbardo Stanford uh, <laughs> experiment, uh, and that's really what made me start to question what the ethics of engaging in this stuff is because I realized um, that I had a responsibility to try to avoid that happening in the future.
0: No, I, I mean I think that's a great point, and I am. Um... Paul, who's my normal co-host and I, um, uh, we didn't meet in a LARP, but he and I both participated in LARPs when we were uh in high school um many, many years ago. Um and, and we've both seen, uh and both I think I could speak a little bit for him and mostly for me, both of us experienced times where we were getting a little bit too into our characters and, and the lines between, you know, how do how do I feel about this player and how does my character feel about this character? You know, when you're not careful, those lines can – and especially when you're not in the, the best place mentally, that those lines can get a little blurry. Um, and I've certainly seen that as a player, and it must have been fascinating to – because I imagine as a storyteller, as the person running the LARP, on the one hand, there's a real point of pride that you're telling such an amazing story that people are getting so lost in it. But also that question of like, oh my god, what have I done, when you start to see the results of that. Um, mm-hmm. That's got to be a really interesting <laughs> – like, like. uh um, dichotomy there.
1: Yeah, it is a bit difficult to wrestle with and all I just try to do is channel uh that ability in a more constructive direction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How have you um in LARPs you've run since then, have you have you found like specific things you kind of do now to try to be a little bit of check on that, or do you think it's more just about being careful with the players?
1: Uh I think it's a mixture of both. Um if you're designing a game if when you're designing a narrative for a game, um You need to be careful of what themes and moods you're putting into it, depending on how well you know the people you're running it for. And that game that I mentioned, I only knew there was about 50 people in the game, and I only knew perhaps a a dozen of them very well beforehand. Yeah. Um, And because of that, I wasn't really able to anticipate reactions or um, how you know, how safe it was for a person or talk to them about it very well because, you know, we didn't have that level of intimate trust for a conversation on that emotional level. So now I kind of um, am very careful about what kind of characters and antagonists I put into a narrative um, because I think people engage as much as they engage with their own characters. Um, Mm -hmm. When you're doing it well, they engage with the antagonists just as much. Yep. And um, sometimes those antagonists are other players, and sometimes they're people betrayed by me or people who are helping me out. And in any case, or in either case, um, it can change their perspective on the person playing that character. Mm.
0: Yeah, I I mean, sometimes I think, you know, role-playing is a chance to you know, to take on a different side, and sometimes it's fun to, you know, to be a bad guy or to be an antagonist, but I, I, I know there's certainly been times where I sort of feel like, wow, I'm really good at pretending to be this asshole. I hope people know that I'm actually not this bad, and, oh, wait, maybe I am this bad if I'm able to play someone this bad, you know, I mean, it could just lead to all kinds of questions like that. Um,
1: yeah, and that's where, like, how well you know the other people you're playing with already really comes into play. Yeah. Um, if you if you're coming into a situation where you're running a game for a bunch of people you don't know, or you're playing in a game with a bunch of people you don't know, I think it, I think it's a wise idea to to not play an extremely antagonist character right away.
0: Definitely. Uh,
1: and uh, and to try to play something that you know is going to contribute to the community, both in and out of character of the game.
0: Well, and this is, and I know it's something we'll get more into when we when we when we specifically explore characters. But I I, I think one of the thing. Again, in other parts of this of this podcast, we've talked about the, the difference between, like, a good antagonist who has, you know, they might be horribly evil, but, but they really have a story of themselves, a reason why, they, you know, they think they're their own protagonist, versus, you know, the kind of cardboard cutout villains you sometimes get in movies or TV shows that are just kind of mustache-twirling villains, evil for the sake of evil. Um, and, and I think the same thing can apply to a LARP, I think. What, I, what often really frustrates me in a LARP is when I see someone playing, they just want to be an asshole, or they just want to be wild and crazy, or they just want to be whatever. And, and it seems like the player is just kind of having fun, annoying other players, instead of really, you know, playing a well thought out character who, for whatever character reasons, might not be the easiest to be around.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll. I have some specific things to say on that topic for sure, but <laughs> sure okay, we should yeah. get into that a little bit later. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's
0: me baiting the hook a little bit too much. My apologies there. <laughs> but so let's let, let's then start with talking about just other things that can make alert problematic. And I I, I was actually thinking of this mostly as a as a car- as a player, but I'm really glad you brought in as a storyteller as well. But look, um, I want to start if you don't mind, because I know this is a topic you've talked about some, and I I don't want us to spend too long on it. But I know you have written about recently deciding um not to take part in um. One of the, the uh, 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 larger publishers of uh, LARPing materials, White Wolf, the, their games Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf, etc. Um, and I, I, I really appreciated reading what you said and, and made a similar decision myself. And so I was kind of wondering if you talk for just a few minutes about what, what, what made you make that decision.
1: Yeah, so first of all, this is on its face even more complicated than it appears because even when we talk about White Wolf as a publisher um, over the last decade – that and they 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 were one of the first publishers of certainly one of the first successful publishers of any role playing game. Yep. Uh, going back to the early '90s, late '80s, and in the last decade, they've gone through several iterations, and the original intellectual property has been divvied up to this group and that group and this group. Now there's still one company that owns all of it and profits from it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, who's actually in charge and how much each of those groups? Profit from the intellectual property it varies widely, and in as many clas- cases, unclear due to right. perfectly reasonable legal reasons. Um, so, uh, it becomes very muddled in the question of what company I'm supporting or not. But I just wanted to get that out of the way right away so, because, of
0: course, yeah. <laughs> well, in a lot of ways, I think I, I my my goal with asking you to talk about this now here. Isn't even as much to 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 get into the the, the nitty gritty of that of that specific company as much as I, I just think it's really interesting the way you've made a decision to not play a certain set of games based on the decisions of of one of the companies that's very involved.
1: Sure. So to wrap it up, uh, to to summarize what happened with the company, um, recently they changed hands. The the intellectual who actually owns the intellectual property as a whole changed hands again, uh-huh. and they are becoming engaged in publishing material for those games again and in the process uh, instead of like renting out their intellectual property as has been done for a while now uh, in the process they've hired several people who i would say have very questionable ethics of their own uh-huh. now i don't want to get too much into why i think that right. uh on the podcast here um but definitely because as you said, the point is more, why did I come to my decision to stop playing? It's because those people I don't want to be helping those people engage in unethical an actions mm. and by supporting them both financially by buying the products and in a more um esoteric way by Engaging with the ideas they're producing and encouraging other people to take on those ideas and themselves buy those products. Um, I just can't. I can't add up how I can get away with doing that in my mind. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that. In a lot of ways, it feels. It feels to me like, as someone who's done a lot of political activism, this is a boycott. You know, this is something where you look at. You know, I, I think about. Um, you know, companies that um, like like Chick Fil A and Wendy's that. Um, where people have said or like the, the the writings of Orson Scott card, you know where people have said like look I, I look at the people who are behind these products or the, these intellectual products or physical products and and these are people really doing terrible things and I don't want to support them and and, and so I'm going to choose not to engage in them um do you think is that a fair comparison to make calling this place?
1: I do although I do want to observe that I think it's a bit different because when when you're playing these games and especially when you're running these games you're not just um in you're not just like absorbing you're not just taking in um what the other person has produced mm-hmm. you're taking it and using it yourself yeah so in a lot of ways it's like saying i don't <laughs> i don't want to use these tools that this person has created which i think is a little different than saying i don't want to take in um the media they've created
0: right well and i remember I, I in one of the discussions about this there was a really good point that i think you made which was because I, I remember one of the suggestions i someone else uh was talking about was you know can you just um you know play the games but like if, if people have already purchased the the material can you play the game only using those material or using electronic copies of the material that are distributed in other words sort of not putting any more money than has already been spent into their coffers. Uh, and the point that I think you had made that I thought was a really powerful one about LARPing was that that anytime people get together to LARP, even if they're only using it, you know, the new player who comes in, you're still getting them excited about this particular game and thus the material and thus maybe making them want to go buy the game themselves. And So even if you're not doing it, like, you're basically sort of, pro- it, in some ways, every time we play the game, it's free advertising for the products.
1: Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly how I put it. Uh, when you're running or playing in a game or even telling other people your stories about that game, you are advertising. And that's that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. That's a natural human thing to do. Um, but I think we do have a responsibility to ask ourselves, is it ethical for me to advertise for this who is who's benefiting from my
0: advertisement no and, and i think it, it's I, I was really um struck by this discussion in part because it's one that i i i've had often about um a number of different gaming materials but but i i've primarily in my own larping life engaged with the white wolf materials and, and i'll have to admit there always were times where some of some of the works i loved and then there were some properties that that i thought were you know in, in in a, books that are trying to write about different groups, uh, uh, often of different racial or ethnic backgrounds, can sometimes be deeply problematic. I mean, wh- in White Wolf circles, um, anyone who has ever read anything by White Wolf knows if I mention the Gypsy book, um, it's often regarded as a very racist piece of material. Um, and, but I think it's not—it's not only linked to White Wolf. I know until fairly recently, Dungeons and Dragons was pretty bad about having—you know—almost all white characters portrayed in its books. They're now getting a lot better, and. Um, Moving in those ways. Um, But but in some ways, the kind of like the the questions that you were raising has made me think about this in larger terms, you know, in terms of like, how do we uh, how do we think about the logical ethical questions that these books are 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 problem gating, um, you know, when they are writing about either directly or situations that are as clear metaphors supposed to be referencing racial or gender or sexuality issues in our own world.
1: Role-playing games are really, I think, the hotbed of exactly these topics these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm close with an, a number of role-playing game designers, and they all have very different opinions on how much this should be included. Yeah. And um, I think there is huge opportunity, because, specifically because of how role-playing works, to make a positive difference in the world. I think when people are exploring different perspectives as we discussed earlier, they are increasing um their ability to empathize and understand other people. Yeah. And there are several different directions you can take that and some of them are destructive and some of them are constructive. So I I feel very strongly that it's important to call on designers of these games to understand that they're not just making a game they are making a statement about our society
0: do you have any particular examples you know of, of uh either as a storyteller or as a player where you've seen that kind of thing of of another player had their perspective shift somewhat um i i, I definitely can think of one or two and i'm curious if you know of uh if you have ones you would love to like to share about where you've seen someone develop more of that kind of empathy
1: well certainly um <laughs> i'm just pausing a moment to go through my catalogs so No, of course <laughs> Um, I'll speak about this in the general and then the specific Um, one thing that I think is very interesting in role playing games especially is um, and video games to a certain degree um, is the decline of orientalism in the past there was a huge uh, tendency in these communities to um, mystify and
0: um I'd say almost even fetishize.
1: Yeah, fetishize um Eastern cultures, Chinese, Japanese, any of them, or just the general aesthetics of Asian cultures. Um in recent years I've seen a huge shift in that towards much more responsible uh, portrayals of that material. And uh I've watched players who uh, you know, when when we all started out as teenagers would play very uh what would now be very offensive caricatures. Um as characters Mm -hmm. to realize like through playing those characters, characters, and then looking back on how they acted in the past and then trying to portray a more nuanced version of that character today. um, I've watched people's understanding and ability of how they should portray other cultures change. Just like that.
0: Yeah. I I think that's such a powerful example, especially because the, um, that, uh, that 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 sort of, uh, as I said, fetishization or 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 you know, um, uh, approach towards you know what's often referred to as kind of the mystical East, and I, I say that with great quotation marks because that's the whole problem. I, I've seen that in so many role playing games and video games where you know the 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 Eastern martial art character is is just put on such a pedestal because of the portrayal of that sort of thing. Um, and, and I don't know for myself the time where I've seen it is especially around issues of masculinity. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm shifting a little bit from the the, uh, the Orientalism question to to a different example. But for one myself, I've seen mm. there's one example in particular I can think of um, uh, a game that was played in d and D type setting, but one that the storyteller had adjusted a good deal. Well, it was when I played while we were in grad school, and, and there was a person in our friend group who was kind of a you know he he meant well, but he definitely had a lot of sort of hyper masculinity traits, and and would make make jokes that we sort of would, would try to call him out a little bit, but he didn't quite understand what the problem was, and um, he wound up playing a character who, over the course of the game, had, you know, a number of, uh, who started off as a very physicalized character, and over the course of the game, had, both through injury and through magic, like, lost the ability to use a lot of his sort of physical traits, and and he and I and one other player would often go out for a drink after um, after game sessions, And we ended up having some really powerful conversations where he talked about like how, you know, I mean, the word he would use, and I understand why, is emasculating. It felt to him to not have this physical prowess as his character, and it it allowed us to have some really good conversations where he had some real breakthroughs about, you know, why why did he so link physical power and masculinity in his head, and why did why in his mind could you not be a male character or player who didn't have that kind of physical power? Um, and I think it's kind of an extreme example, but it, it really has always stayed with me of a time when, you know, it, when when LARPing or, role, in this of case, it was a tabletop game. But when those things are used in a good way, they really can help people see the world in different ways.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, what a powerful example. Thank you mm-hmm. for sharing that with me uh, as well. Um, that's exactly the sort of opportunity that that's the power of narrative in the human mind right um and of course everyone's different and everyone's going to engage in different materials but there's a lot of people who can be deeply affected by these kinds of stories um by engaging in narrative in this way um and it's it's a responsibility and it's an opportunity
0: right well and so what do you i hate the term devil's advocate but here i wanna at <laughs> least push back a little in the other direction cuz i think it's it's a It's a comment I often hear raised is, you know, especially with both video games and with role-playing games, I do hear the comment, and with science fiction, honestly, or fantasy a lot, that people who want, they they want escapism. And I I think you and I could both go round in circles and, and, and quickly argue that anybody who is, you know, who is just saying it from the perspective of, oh, why do we always have to talk politics? You know, can't I just have escapism? That there's a lot of privilege in that perspective. But but I'm almost even talking about someone on the other end, someone who, because I have heard this from people who say, "Listen, I I spend my day, you know, arguing and talking about privilege and social justice and gender and race and and uh, orientation and gender identity and all that. Can't I just have a game that lets me escape for a couple hours? Um, because as you said, that you know part of these games is to have fun. So so where is the role of escapism, and how do we balance, you know, a desire? That isn't necessarily coming from a place of privilege, but a desire for escapism. How do we balance that with uh, the social good these things can do?
1: Well, honestly, in my opinion, um, escapism is um, a very convenient fiction, and it's just not possible. Um, even if you do achieve your goal, so to speak, of uh, completely divorcing your association with what's going on in your life uh, while you're playing – Or with the world. Um, On a subconscious level, you're still bringing in any emotions that you had throughout the day, any biases. And I think it's far healthier to use role playing to engage with those things than to um, try to move away from them. Um, I'm just a lot of people in my life uh, who aren't. Involved in uh, any kind of culture aren't gamers uh, or are great readers of of science fiction or fantasy um they they assume that a lot of what I'm doing is escapism i you know I remember a lot, especially when I was younger, you know trying to get it so that my friends could play in the games I was running, and their parents and their families very much disagreeing because they felt that they were just running away from from wife instead of engaging with reality. Oh wow. Um, and I I just really think it's, it's it's it is exactly the opposite. No matter what you do, you're going to be and it sounds a little perhaps a little hopeless or cynical to say <laughs> we exist in this reality even when we're pretending to be somewhere else.
0: Mhm. No, um, I I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that sounds cynical at all. I mean, I maybe I'm just I'm cynical as well, but I think that's completely true. Oh. <laughs> um,
1: and we're all trapped here with each other, so <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of what's the value of how do we figure this out? And I, I, I like that because um there's a there's a comic that was going around a while ago. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was a portrayal of a person and I, I thought it was interesting that it was clearly a young white, apparently cisgendered male, um sort of that he's walking through the world and, and there's all these problems and people are yelling at him about like ethics and, and you know, politics and and it, it's portrayed as though just everyone around him is yelling and he's, you know, outside of it, but just being harried by it. And he sees the door into fandom where, you know, a Muppet and a Doctor Who character and all these others are like saying, come in here and you can escape. Um, Have you seen the one I'm talking about? Yes. OK. I, I, I always thought I, I, I get the concept of that because I get how how hard it can be, you know, and, and there's an extent to it. But 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 I guess to me. I I do feel like there I, I I guess I see it a little differently than you but but I think from a similar perspective is that I I do to me the closest I come to escapism isn't wanting to run away from the problem entirely it's about wanting to approach it from a different direction you know it's about like saying it, instead of just having yet another conversation with someone about can we impeach the president it's let's re let's go back and re you know look at the episodes where superman had to deal with lex luthor and see what lessons we can draw for the current situation, you know? Because it, it's mm-hmm. not escapism, but it's also maybe it's it's the escape from the one particular perspective of the problem. Because um,
1: mm.
0: I think you're right. I think that, that it, it 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 seems wrong to say that we can't ever be escaping, but we can maybe be using these things to approach them from a different angle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there is a value in sort of um, trying to – just just entertain ourselves, just to distract ourselves. There is absolutely a value in that. Everyone needs respite and breaks. Yeah. But I, I, I just think that those, those games and those pieces of fiction should be explicitly marked out that way. And with games, it needs to be... It's really hard to design a game that way just because everybody's bringing... There is social activity with other people Right, and so, you know, even if someone, if you're very close with someone, you don't know what who who the person across the room or across the table from you, you don't know what perspectives they're bringing in all the time, what happened to them throughout their day. So, it's just, it's so easy to stumble in, like it's it's almost impossible to maintain that escapism because it's so easy to just. Stumble into something that that connects with someone. That's the whole point of the metaphor,
0: right? What what is total escapism for me might be going right to the heart of your trauma, and vice versa. Right. right. No, I think I think that's a great point. Um. Well, and and, and so building on that, I, I want to go deeper into some. Of, what are some of the other things that can make a larp problematic as a player? Um. You know, and and let's just talk about the other players we're playing with. Um. I know you you I, I think you you posted about, but I'm sure we both have read the missing stare uh, article that talks about the mm-hmm. missing stair in, in, in applied to LARPing world, um, where where in, and help me out here. But my memory is that it, it, the the missing stair theory is one where you talk about like you know that if there's a house that has, you know, everyone just says oh just be careful of that that stair on the the third stairwell, and no one ever thinks to to fix it. They always just think just just warn people about it, and 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 that this article was saying that in LARPing culture there often is a similar thing of. There can be a person or people who are problematic, um, you know, just because they are kind of bullies or they're bringing in a lot of aspects of, of racism or hypermasculinity or, or homophobia or whatever, and, and for whatever reason, the result, the response of the community is to say, "Oh, that's just our missing stare. you know. "Oh, you just gotta, you know, be aware of that player. He's a little bit obnoxious. We just all deal with it." Instead of, as a community, saying, Let, "Let's take action. Let's try to better educate this person." Let's set some firmer boundaries, or let's just say this person isn't welcome in our game. Um, so I was kind of curious. What 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 is your uh, your take on, on this issue of varping, and have you experienced it much, and kind of how have you responded?
1: Well, it? I've experienced it my <laughs> in almost every game I've been in, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it is because, uh, as I just mentioned, these are social experiences by definition. There are very, very, very few role-playing games that you could play by yourself. Right as one person, and also it is difficult because um you are relying on all of those other people to create the media that you are consuming and creating it yourself, being the creator and the consumer at the same time um can it's just a very different form of than than any other sort of uh media that I can think of or have ever experienced it's it's you know it's not like television or a book where you're where you're taking it in um you, you have to simultaneously push out and take in mm-hmm. so because of that people tend to form very strong bonds and the communities um everyone knows each other better and better all the time because as you're showing other people different characters different situations and uh You are showing them portions of yourself, and in that way – I'm sorry. I'm getting away from the missing stare a bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's okay. I think this is all very relevant.
1: Because the communities are so strong and because everyone knows each other so intimately, especially when new people come in, it takes some time to – and it can be very intimidating for new people, I know. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you're an experienced player, coming into a new community is a completely different um, situation. And can be very intimidating no matter how long you've been playing. And part of that is learning where the missing stairs are. Right. (laughs) Um, And I think it's unfortunate uh, that, well, that this is such a common problem. in, Like I said, every LARPing community and many other subcultures communities that I've been a part of. um, But especially in role-playing because... I think role-playing explicitly gives us the tools to deal with this problem in a constructive way.
0: Well, and actually, I, I, let, let me back up a second, because I, I do want us to, to, mm-hmm. to be a little more explicit. Like, what when we talk about the, the, the missing snares, the problematic people we, we see in the LARPing world, like, what, what are the kind of things we're talking about? Um,
1: I mean, bluntly and most commonly, what I've seen is just, like, um, usually men, but not always, who engage in sexual abuse of other players. It's It's... Very easy for someone who has a manipulative ability to take advantage of um LARP communities, new players, or other players, and for people to conflate ability to play the game and portray characters well with um a strong ethical center.
0: Yeah. No, I think that is that's. I, I'm really I, I really appreciate the way you said that because I think that perfectly names the problem that that you get seen and. and... You know, I've seen that play out in everything from kind of the the most basic of where it's just issues of harassment and people being made uncomfortable to issues of, you know, people – I mean I've seen some very healthy romances form as part of LARPs. But I've also seen situations where a a player, you know, started dating another player in in situations that felt less than fully consensual in part because of the the dynamics playing out between their characters. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it is – and again, that gets into a lot of the issues of character player bleed that we talked about. And, um, but I I think it's really important just to name that, um, as well as to name. You know, and we'll get more into this in a second. Um, but um, but just the you know that, that I I've certainly also been in LARPs where you always that person who just they always find a way to play a character who gives them an excuse to express you know on pc you know, this is their language but you know uh, the the pc perspective you know the character who has a because it's what their character would do that they say the n word or, or or things like that um mm-hmm. and i think it's really important to uh, uh the next thing i want to get into is how we draw those lines about what is just not acceptable behavior in in any character let alone player but but i think it's it, it also is important to name for this missing stare thing um so so but to get back to where we were going a minute before what do you think are the ways in which role- how can role-playing communities deal with this other than just saying, oh, that's just so-and-so, we just deal with him?
1: First, you have to realize that you are not just a game, that you are a community. Yep. That's the first step. The second step is you have to decide, really decide whether you- um, some games are open to anyone. Anyone who comes to the door can play that that day or night even. Um and some games are a little more you know I- invitation only or a little more insular like you can come and watch, but you gotta you know you gotta go through a process to actually join the game um I think those are both perfectly legitimate ways to play It's just they both require a different approach to this problem <laughs> um, when you're when you have an open door policy in your game Um, You have to realize that there are going to be dangerous people who will try to participate in your game, almost certainly. Um, Of course, it depends somewhat on, you know, do you have a lot of potential gamers in your area? Uh, I I grew up LARPing in small towns, uh, very small towns. Uh, My next-door neighbors were Amish growing up, so... Uh,
0: I I, I was LARPing (laughs) in New York City, so we had fairly divergent (laughs) experiences there.
1: But even then, um, or perhaps even especially then, um, it was very easy for um, people to take advantage of the community. Mm-hmm. So the answer to this question is two different ways. Um, I think that putting some barrier to entry into your game is important. Yep. Um, it doesn't have to be a super high wall or something or anything, but um, at least when I run games personally, my preference is like if somebody's going to join the game, but it that I am able to meet them outside of the game, get to know them a little bit at least, right. and uh, before I let them play. Um, I think, like, vetting people is important. Talk to other people who know them. Um, now, you know, all these things are going to have exceptions. Like, I just moved to a new area. You know, a lot of people, I don't know a lot of people in the area, so... Uh, if somebody asked me, you know, is there anybody around here that I can talk to that knows you? I wouldn't have a very good answer for that. Right. Uh, but there are ways to work around that. I just think asking yourself when you go to run a game or if you're organizing a game, these questions is important. hmm How, I mean, how are you going to protect your players from <laughs> uh, dangerous elements that want to join the game?
0: Right. So that was you the first, and what was the second?
1: Mm. Um I mean that's going to vary a bit depending on what kind there, – there are several different varieties, mm-hmm. again, of uh, live actual role playing, generally divided right now in the parlance uh, between uh, Boffer, mm-hmm. which is – which tend to be a little more um, light on the actual role playing, a little bit more on the physical fighting, although that can vary.
0: But, but uh, j- parlor, j- again, for the, the folks who aren't um, LARPers themselves uh- – Par- parlor, which I think you're about to talk about, is, is, is more like the, the tabletop where you know, if one character is trying to hit another character, you use some kind of a random element to decide if you, ha- if you would hit or not. You don't actually do the, the physical action. In Boffer, you actually literally have the equi- – they're, they're very well designed. But they're basically like foam nerf swords and you try to actually physically represent doing fighting but just in a safe way where at- without actually harming people. Um,
1: and then, and then, more recently, there's also kind of a third variety, which is the uh, which is generally known as Nordic, because it's coming generally from Scandinavia, and that's where instead of having some sort of game mechanic like rock paper scissors or dice or whatever, um, you just have a lot of very strong negotiation techniques, <laughs> and that can either lead to people physically engaging each other more because they've already planned out in sort of choreography way what's going to happen, or um, or it's just a very uh, out loud, daring their description of what occurs, right um and the reason I bring up these differences is because um, they are all introduced I have the most experience with parlor, but i've uh, also engaged in the other types mm-hmm. and they all have their own challenges um but what they have in common is again, the people organizing the game need to realize their responsibility. And be able to delegate that responsibility to the players, because trust me, whether your game has ten people in it or a hundred, you're not going to be able to see everything that happens. yeah, so the best way I think to to be a little more specific, run workshops to train your player and come up and learn techniques to allow players to check in with each other and to communicate with each other without disrupting the flow of the game
0: yeah i i think that is so so essential and I, I i recently got back into larping that's how you and i met i hadn't done it for about 8 years before then um or, or with a couple of breaks in the last couple of years but but in those larps that i i got into most recently there were people who were explicitly set up to be player advocates who if you had a concern and you didn't feel comfortable going to the people running the game you could go to the player advocate and they would hope you know be an advocate for you and they explicitly mentioned the sort of problematic player um, or problematic storyteller, because let's be honest, sometimes it is the storyteller, the the person running the game, who's abusing that power in either known or even unknown ways. Um, that that I thought that was such a great thing, both to have that safe way that people could go to to advocate ad, advocate for themselves, but also just because it's such a powerful reminder of, hey guys, if you're uncomfortable it is so important to us that you be able to talk talk about it that we're creating this system just for that, you know? Because I think what can often happen with that kind of missing stare is... Because the, the worst thing about the missing stare is when it actually people aren't talking about it. And so the one mm-hmm. person who experiences a real problem with someone, because they don't hear anyone else have the problem, they're thinking, oh, everyone else must think this person is fine. I must be the only one who has a problem with it. There must be something wrong with me. And I've certainly experienced communities where... Eight, ten, a dozen people are all thinking I'm the only one who thinks they have a problem. Um, So, yeah, I just think that kind of, like you said, the workshops, the explicit things, getting players talking about this becomes so important.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'm not saying, I'm certainly not saying, you know, remove people from your community based on hearsay. Mm -hmm. But I am saying, well, talk to each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there has to be some middle ground between. That person's totally fine, and kick that person out, and it can be really just Mm -hmm. the middle ground of, can we discuss this? Because I I think a lot of times, you know, and and I think this is kind of funny because this is the whole point of of the storytelling is getting into these ideas of, you know, that that concept. Or at least for me, one of the reasons things I love about LARPing is that it helps me turn. It I like playing characters who really push the boundaries of what is good and what is evil, and really get into ideas of like. That someone that is good in their eyes might be evil in someone else's, and 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 vice versa. That it's all perspective on some level. And and I, if there's if there's a way we can take that lesson explicitly into the LARPing community, I think it can often be remember. Like, you know, sometimes the person who's acting in problematic ways may not realize what they're doing. May not realize what they're doing is harmful to others, or they may. Um, but but at least starting with a conversation about it can really help to, to to bring the issues out into the open and to talk about them and see if there's a way to resolve them.
1: I agree. I agree. Um. Sometimes, though, decisive action does need to be taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, and and let me ask you on that regard. On on as 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 the player. Uh, well, actually, let me ask you on both. So, as a storyteller, as the person running the game, how do you decide when when have you ever had to kick somebody out of a game? Certainly. <laughs> so, what what makes you decide that, that that's the line that that's that that has we've come to, to mix metaphors terribly.
1: Essentially, if they're not willing to willing or able to recognize that their behavior is an issue in the community, mm-hmm. um, if they can't even you know see why that might be a problem, if they're not willing to compromise, then they don't have to play. And I think that goes both ways too. I, I know you're going to want me to <laughs> say as a player too, what do you do when there's people in the game and the that that you don't want to engage with? Right. Um, that's a really hard question to answer because, you know, as we've said, these games are not just games but communities and you don't want to have to ostracize yourself or a community because of one or a handful of destructive people. You might be very fond of every other part of the community.
0: But especially because we're talking about, you know, this isn't the metaculture. This is a subculture of a subculture. of yep. you know, And it's especially, certainly in New York, if I wanted to step away from the one big LARP, it wasn't always easy to find another, and I imagine that's much, much, much more so in smaller communities.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, I mean, there's a multitude of things you can do. You can try to work it out with the people who are running the game and the other people in the game that, you know, you don't have to interact with that person, but that can be very challenging um, because it makes it a lot more difficult to construct narratives within the game, both for you. Uh, for you and for the people running it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also utilize, if you, you are fortunate enough to have a game that utilizes a player advocate or uh, some sort of player mediation, you can uh, try to use that if, if you can use that person as a go-between. Um, and just kind of set down clear boundaries. And as long as those boundaries aren't being crossed, of course, um, there won't be... there shouldn't be a problem. The the issue is that so often those boundaries are going to be crossed again, even after people are very clear. And what do you do then? Well, generally that means that either you have to stop playing or you have to accept that those boundaries are going to be crossed. And it's just the unfortunate reality of living in our uh living in a community with other humans
0: yeah well
1: and it, it's unfortunate that we have to victimize ourselves in that way and ostracize ourselves from communities sometimes but it's just the reality of how how our uh how human culture works
0: well and, and it's definitely a case where i think harm reduction is really the model i looked at through things through you know in terms of that's a situation where there is no good um option mm-hmm. you know and so it's really a question of is it going to be worse for yourself to be out of that community, or to be a part of a community that has some obviously very toxic elements? Um, and, and I know for me, when I face things like that, the biggest question often becomes that. That I think it, it's very easy to see it as a me against everyone thing, and mm-hmm. that's what it becomes so important for me to try and reach out and find if there are other people who are bothered by this situation, because mm-hmm. often if if I can find at least a couple of allies like that who all, you know, can really say, listen. We, we are not going to stay in this game unless the game um, changes. Then either a you're now speaking with a lot more power, and hopefully you know I hate to use this kind of language, but it's more of a threat to the game of like you have to change, or we're going to walk. And mm-hmm. and if still that doesn't work, if you do walk, you you've now created a smaller, but still there is now a new community being created of people who share that value with you, and who hopefully you can create something new with. Um. And again, that the math there is a little bit idealized, but I think that there's there's some possibility there at least.
1: Yeah, and I want to kind of interject with something on this topic um, about that there is, and I think it's important that we recognize there's a difference between um, sharing and gossiping. Yes. And gossip can be very destructive, yep. um, and sharing, um, the the line between the two can sometimes be blurred. But for me, I think the key difference is uh when you're sharing and communicating, you're talking about what you have experienced and how it's affected you. And when you're gossiping, you're talking about second, third, fourth hand what has happened or occurred with other people. Right. And you know, in, in certain situations it's acceptable to, you know, engage in that sort of second, third, fourth hand discussion. But it isn't acceptable to then bring that to the community as a whole as like
0: um, This is gospel truth when I've heard it third hand.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: No, and I think that's really important. Because so I think it's also important for us to remember, like, you know, uh, I'm someone who was a proud geek who loves LARPing, and yes, wasn't the most popular kid in high school. And there's there's a definite correlation between those two. And that that, in a lot of ways, I can sort of idealize geek culture and nerd culture and LARPing culture as opposed to the sort of you know, uber cultures that I that I tend to avoid. And I think it's easy to forget that our that geek cultures, that LARPing cultures can sometimes be just as clickish. can sometimes have just as much, you know, personality stuff where if it's one particular person saying, I'm concerned about these people, other people are going to listen to that just because that person has the strong personality in the group. You know, the, these same dynamics can occur in any community, including ours. Um, so that that's a really good point and I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I, I do want to shift a, a little to talking about the, the questions that come up when we are in character um mm-hmm. and and uh um I'll, I'll, we're gonna get into some of the stuff about how we choose what characters to play and what's wrong there but i wanted to start by saying i i know you know when, when you and i interacted in larp we were playing characters on on very different sides of the the ethical spectrum um <laughs> ones that I, I would personally as an upright character have seen yours in a somewhat negative light um but i'd be curious to talk about like what from your perspective what what do you enjoy out of playing characters who have an ethical system that is different than the mainstream shall we say um, and sort of what, what, what that experience is like for you, because my, my – I haven't seen it much, but certainly from my experience with you, it certainly seems like you tend to play characters who have a strong ethical system of their own, even if it's not one that other people would recognize.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that if there's any uniting trend at this point in, between my characters, it's simply that um, they have some sort of set of beliefs that they hold closely Right. themselves that guides their behavior um, and you know that's <laughs> that is what I enjoy uh to do when I'm playing in a game is to like I said earlier very much focus in on uh being able to explore uh perspective that's very different from my own uh, in my life I'm a very um hedonistic uh but uh a very moderation all things except in moderation kind of person so (laughs) I have enjoyed playing characters who are extremely extremely hidebound Mm -hmm. Um, and on the vice versa I've enjoyed playing characters who allow me to explore the dangers of taking some of the ethics that I hold to more extreme levels right so um, those are both very different opportunities for uh, a person to explore when they're thinking about the ethics of the character they want to portray
0: yeah, and I think that that's so essential because, as I've said before, this, and this is obviously a real hobby horse of mine, I think in any kind of writing, both in lar- in, in LARPing or in you know, movies or TV shows, but especially in LARPing, I, I'm really bothered by the character who's just being evil for the sake of evil or obnoxious for the sake of obnoxiousness. You know, I think it is so important. I, I have certainly played some characters who were on all ends of the ethical spectrum, but it, but it always feels so important to me to be able to feel like Whatever action I'm doing, even if everyone in the room thinks it's terrible, there has to be some reason why this character thinks that it's the right thing to do. Um, And and what I tend to love about LARPing is those situations where I'm – that's the question I'm always asking is, okay in this situation, not what would Matthew think is the right thing to do, not what what would the community think is the right thing to do, but what would this character do in this situation? Um, Because for me, that is such a source of empathy, of really being able to – If nothing else, of being able to remember that almost everybody, you know, with 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 market exceptions, but for most people, they do think they are the protagonist in their story, Uh, and there's a reason why people are doing those things, even if those reasons come, you know, from very problematic places or with very problematic results.
1: Absolutely, but to touch on something you brought up a couple times during our discussion here, we still have a responsibility as authors. Mm -hmm. Um, we still had we still are making the choice in the end it is us making the choice not the character Yeah. of what's going to happen what we're going to say how we're going to do it
0: Uh, well this is how communal works because now you're making my transitions for me which is great Um, (laughs) but because yeah that's exactly the the next big and probably the last big question I want us to touch on because I think it is so important is because obviously that, that you know like I could write in my head a character who would who would you know walk into the game with a Confederate flag on his back and make homophobic and sexist and racist comments all night long. I I could write that character. I'm not going to, um, because I think that's deeply irresponsible. That that's going to be triggering or offensive or just really problematic for other players. Um, what so for you? What 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 are the line? What are those lines? And how what is the importance for you in having those lines? Not just in the characters you play but the characters you're comfortable with other people playing first
1: of all it again comes down to me for how well the people in the community know each other and how well I know yeah there are going to be some games where i would feel comfortable portraying that character because <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a handful of people or a dozen people that i know very well right. and they know uh and but there would also have to be some sort of methodology in place to stop me if somebody was starting to be affected too deeply by that sort of point so you know the more tools a game has to deal with that sort of thing to deal with a character who can be um uh, difficult for other people to deal with due to what's happened in their own lives um the more opportunity there is to explore those concepts
0: you know, I did something recently when when starting a, a tabletop game and I, I I wonder if you've ever done something like this because I was I was really happy with how it turned out. I, I don't know how easily I could do it with a LARP, but but it'd be interesting exploring that. Is I asked everybody and I, I gave them a chance to tell me privately, but it was a tabletop game we're going to have five players and I asked each of them individually, are there any topics that you would really like to make sure don't get explore- that that don't come up in the game. You know, you know like sexual violence or a, meeting a character whose mother has just died, you know, or, or, you know, things like that. Like what, what are topics that are just too sensitive for you or too, you know, close to trauma you're dealing with or have dealt with that you want to make sure it doesn't come up. Um, and, and I think, you know, that can be limiting if it, it's too broad, but I, I found it a really helpful thing to be able to say to myself as a, as a storyteller, okay. in my player group, this particular issue is just not right to explore so we're going to explore something different um what what's, have you had experience with that kind of thing or with with with, with, with you know directly asking players like what are or are not topics you're comfortable exploring
1: absolutely and i think it's a great idea in almost every game to do, to try and do that or something like it something along those lines yeah um i think it's a good idea not just because you as i just said not just because you are learning, um, just just not to set down those boundaries, but so that you know how far you can go. Right. It allows you, a lot of people who like to play these kinds of characters see those boundaries as limiting. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the opposite. I think those, uh, it, I feel when I know exactly what the people I'm playing with are and are comfortable I know exactly where I can go. I know what push- buttons I can push on myself and on them. Right. And I know I, I it's like, you know, um uh, giving consent frees people. It doesn't bind them.
0: Yeah. No, I I I've often talked about that it, it I I want um I want someone to define the walls of the sandbox for me. You know, because mm-hmm. if I know I can't go to 7, that tells me I can go to 6.8, you know? <laughs> um but but I also think what's really important there is what you said earlier about having the mechanism in place. Because I think one thing that's very important is you can have all the ideas you, you think about what you are or are not going to be comfortable with. But that's very different than discovering you're not comfortable with it in the moment. Um, and I think in any game there has to be that possibility to, to be able to say, you know what, I thought it would be okay exploring this particular topic – but we've gotten there and it's really bothering me. Is there some way we can, without disrupting the game, sort of gently shift into a different thing? Um, You know, and that might not always be possible or might not not be easily possible, but I think that, because I would never want a situation where, you know, players are saying to themselves, well, two months ago, I thought I'd be okay with this topic, so now I'm stuck with it.
1: Right, and every gaming community is going to have a different desire for what shape those tools take. And there are plenty of articles and ideas out there mm-hmm. um, if you're looking for those. And the I just urge people not to go without those tools. That's really just what I want to say. Don't, don't think that you can get on with just talking. It's useful to have codified structures in your community and in your game on how to take care of each
0: other definitely and i think one thing we'll do is um uh, i i know some of them but jp if you would send me links to some of the your favorite articles about stuff like that i will post them in the show notes when this article goes up when this episode goes up um so people can easily find them um and i also just want to i don't know if you have anything more to say on this because we may have covered it somewhat but i I also just want to reiterate you know at least one of my experiences has been that often one of the most problematic players is the player who is just you know, he's the person who, in another part of your life, is always complaining about privilege and and PC language and things like this. And he wants to just be able to, because often it is a he, but not always, but be able to say whatever he thinks and whatever he feels. And and so this then becomes the player who is actively looking for ways to play characters who can be as offensive or as sexist or as racist as they want to be. Um, and and I really want to just say to empower players and character players and storytellers and game runners. That there's, you're not at all like harming the integrity of a game by saying to that person this is not okay, and that the perp- at least in my mind the purpose of a game shouldn't be to give a person a chance to hurt other people, because um, that's not what this is supposed to be about. And I-, I-, I think you can still have great integrity to your story, you know, without allowing that person who's just doing it for those kind of reasons.
1: Yeah, and you know, to a certain degree, I think. It could be possible to have that sort of behavior in a game and have it be healthy for that person in the game. But it's going to be very rare and very specific. And just saying to the person, this isn't the place for that, this isn't the game for that, right. can go a long way. Especially if you approach them from... Um, it's going to depend on the person, of course, but if you're able to approach them from the position of empathy, the position of you know, making sure they know that you want them to participate, but they need to... Acknowledge that this is that they're a part of the community and that they're harming themselves in the community by behaving like that
0: yeah no, I think that I think that's a really good point and I think that's and, and that's also a case where it it is often good to figure out who is the best person to make that approach because I know there are some issues on which I would be able to to, to definitely be the person to approach another player. I know, as you can tell, this, is, this, this particular thing I, I've brought up a couple times now is one that really bothers me, and probably where I would have trouble having empathy for that player. And so I, it would, I would need to find someone else to say, hey, can you be the one to approach this player? Because I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I could have that empathy. Um, yeah,
1: but I, but the I think the advantage of that, community okay. is delegation. Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
0: No, no, I, I, think, I think exactly you're right. Um, that, that dele- say more about what you mean with delegation there.
1: I mean, uh, as I kind of touched on earlier, not just as a game runner, but as a player, being able to communicate your issues to other people and have them kind of carry the torch for you when you're not able to, um, is the reason why humans form communities.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, it's really true. It's the, you know, I, I can't paint very well, so I will grow a little bit more farming you know i will do a little bit more farming in the hope that someone else can paint and create art for both of us you know i think that's that's what society is all about um well and, and that actually lets me hit on one point i hadn't thought of but i want to just sort of raise as a last quick topic for it we've been about an hour so i want to wrap up sure. um, but it's the nature of hierarchy because i think one of the ways in which you know oppression most often hits in our world and, and that as you and i both are committed to, to talking about social justice, we're often talking about the the, the problems of hierarchy in, you know, and, and power dynamics in in oppressive situations. Um and I really like that we're talking about ways that LARPs can can be communal and can be, you know, communities can work things out. But there obviously is some kind of power structure in a LARP. There are um, you know, both as players, there's the person who's running the game and thus is setting the rules and the players who are following the rules and And then often, in the worlds we're creating, you know there are there are there's a power hierarchy often among the characters um and so I'd be kind of curious your thoughts on what are the ways in which breaking down or just being able to reimagine those hierarchies both as players and as characters can can um uh suits you for for the approaches you have about hierarchies in general
1: you know the question you're asking is something that a lot of role-playing game designers are asking themselves right now. Um, we have to remember, this is, you know, a fairly young hobby, art form, what have you. Yeah. You know, 30, 40 years. Now, there's some records of a bit older than that, but and of course there are similar behaviors throughout human history, but this specific form of it is is fairly new. We're still learning a lot of the techniques to engage in this kind of play. Um, so... How to design the the hierarchy of a game, like the structure of who who is running it, who who controls the narrative, is usually the central question. Right. Uh, and to some degree, all role playing games are negotiation. Um, they're 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 all like uh, any sort of betting game where you're all you're always uh, pushing and pulling to try to. Suss out how much of the narrative that you're controlling at any given time. Um, there are lots of different ways you can set up the organization of a game. I have participated in games that did not have a central person um, running it. Mm. Um, it just had very clear guidelines for what the setting and rules were, and how players could adjudicate uh, any discrepancies among each other. Right. I have participated in games that had, uh, and ran games, uh, that had a very rigid uh, structure. You know, what I say goes, and that's the understanding. I think the important thing is that it is clearly communicated before people join the game.
0: What the hierarchy uh, is, and how it's going to yes. be forth, yeah.
1: Uh People, not every game is going to be for every person, and... I think that's a good thing. It lets lets us have a variety of different situations and lets us create uh, homes for anyone to come to. Mm -hmm. Um, But it has to be clearly stated what you're trying to create, what your community is trying to create.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's that's super important, especially just that idea of... Because in a lot of ways, I feel like the biggest problems with a lot of hierarchies isn't the hierarchy itself, it's the unspoken, unacknowledged hierarchy, you know, and and that's obviously such an important part of race or class, you know, privilege discussions. But I, and I'm sure you, this is true for you, I have been in in LARPing groups where we have played four or five or six different games over the course of a couple of years. And for, you know, purely coincidence, the same players almost always wind up in the positions of power, um, that their characters wind up in the positions of power in the game. You know, and it's just because there's a there's an uns, it's not spoken, it's not talked about, but just in whether it's because of social power or connections or whatever, those wind up being the players who who take those roles, um, and and sometimes just having a clear acknowledgement of what is the hierarchy going on, how are the rules to be enforced, both in character and out of character, can just do so much to help people feel more comfortable, as well as help players decide what kind of game do they want to fit in, do they want to play in a game that has no hierarchy and is just that kind of—we all follow the rules—or do they want a game with a strict storyteller and, and, and dungeon masters and things like that? Um, so that, that, I think it's a really interesting distinction.
1: Yeah, and and you know I would just want to say if you are that kind of player, I want—and everyone has different levels of social skills—but you know if you've been in the position of power and character several times or repeatedly, you know if you've been playing for a while, I would just say it can be just as rewarding to help other people. Especially new players mm-hmm. try to achieve that and uh, to be to, to to kind of shift yourself uh, more towards a, a mentorship role. Yeah, so, I think uh, I, I would encourage think... anyone who finds themselves in that position to explore that idea.
0: Yeah, I think that can be a lot of fun, both as the as the player and as the character. You know, there can be real real uh, area to explore as the character who wants to be the power behind the throne, not on the throne themselves, or or just wants to be you know really in the background and not you know, seeing what's happening at the street level instead of instead of up on the throne. So well, well great. JP, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I'm really glad you could be a part of it. Um if people want to kind of know more about you, is there ways they can follow your writings or um places you're active?
1: Um I do not have uh anything in particular at this time. Uh but maybe like uh, there are some things in the works. Uh oh. so perhaps in the future uh you could post something up as a follow-up or something
0: sounds good i totally will i totally will well thank you so much for being a part of this um to our, our listeners thank you so much for tuning in um we'd love to hear your stories how has larping or role-playing been for you what what are some great ethical questions you faced in character and how did you resolve them or what are what are some times you've had to, to wrestle with things in game um you can email us at superheroethics at com. You can tweet at us at SuperheroEthics or you can post on the Facebook page, uh, SuperheroEthics at Facebook. All those are great ways. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your ideas, thoughts on this episode, thoughts on an episode we, you want us to do in the future. Please let us know. Uh, JP, thanks again to you. and to Everyone, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back soon. Bye-bye.